Hey guys, it's the Holy Hour Podcast, the bi-weekly all-cure podcast. I'm Gavin, thanks so much for joining us, and welcome if this is the first time joining us. Hope you're all doing well and ready for some cure talk. This is a good one, gonna nerd out hard on this one. This is one I actually recorded um, a while back and just have been holding on to it and having it on standby um, for times like this when I've been doing a little summer traveling and... Uh, Got to uh, have some beach time with family in between, my wife changing jobs, and then I took my biannually, usually, trip to Virginia to see my family up, uh, back where I grew up, and uh, it's great seeing family hanging out, but uh, Northern Virginia area, just uh, so much to answer for, but um. Yeah, I hope you guys have been doing good out there. I don't think I missed any big cure announcements. Uh, seems like certain somebody's maybe a little overdue for a big announcement. Um, maybe something came out in the time, the couple days after I record this and have it ready to go for you guys. But uh, it's looking like maybe another week in the tank and we're not going to hear anything. So I'm not sure what's going on there. But uh, hopefully we'll get some kind of announcement soon too. Still holding out faith. And uh, I guess everybody that got the Wild Mood Swings picture disc, I hope you're happy with your purchases and were able to snag a copy of that on Record Store Day Part 2, I think it was. And um, I opted to not try to get that one because I have the old one, so I figured, eh, I'm good. But I did uh, put in the pre-order for that DEK Magazine exclusive thing that... <laughs> doesn't make any sense but uh i guess it's some kind of uh new interview in-depth interview with robert um from the era about the era of wild mood swings coming out for the anniversary so that should be pretty cool god knows when that'll ever show up but uh hopefully sometime in this year and when it does uh i'll have to let you guys know what to think of it all and uh we'll, we'll hash it all out in some form or another um, so yeah, I think they're still up pre-orders if you want to go check out on that. So I figured I'd invest my, I think it came out to like 30 bucks. So I don't know what the hell kind of magazine this is going to be, but, uh, we'll see. Hopefully it's got some cool stuff in there. But, um, like I said, this is a totally different episode. This one's, um, in orange. Me just nerding out hard on the beloved old concert film in orange directed by Tim Pope. And I uh, kind of just do a walkthrough of uh, a little bit of history from it, some stuff I dug up, some some uh, history on the actual theater. So uh, very quick, very brief history, and uh, some of the thoughts on the actual set list and the era that the Cure performed it, and personal memories of the show, as we all probably have with this concert. Um, it's a classic, no way around it. So I say we just go ahead and dive on into this and uh, stick around at the end. We'll do our Patreon shout-outs and, um, and praise to all you wonderful Patreon crew. But uh, we'll put, leave that at the end, so be sure to stick around. Otherwise, let's get on with the show, as they say, in the biz. Where do we start? The Cure in Orange. So many great memories. Such great moment in Cure history. Um, I guess let's go back to actual 
orange <laughs> or orange. I know that it's technically orange, the province in France. Um, for the sake of my Americanness, I will just continue to say orange for the most part. Um, but let's go there because that's where it was filmed and that's what it's all about. If you hadn't caught on to that yet, that's why they're in that orange. There's a theater out there, uh, Roman Theater Antique de Orange, uh, in southeast French countryside. So um, it was filmed over August 8th, 9th, and 10th in 1986. Well, maybe not filmed over those days. We'll get into the actual schedule coming up, but they reserved three days in Orange to record uh, this film. Uh, ultimately, it would be 23 songs, 94 minutes, 46 seconds, and I don't believe there was any outtakes from this. Um, according to setlist.fm, which we use a lot for the official set list of shows that have happened over the years, um, nobody has like a set list that, that differs from what we see in the film. So I believe everything was in there. Nothing was cut out, unlike previous uh, episodes or shows that we've talked about where they had to trim a few for whatever reasons. On top of that, let's go way back to the history of the theater. Ugh. History of the theater. The Roman theater built in early first century AD. The first, the very beginning. Um, one of the best preserved Roman theaters still around. The theater was seen by Roman authorities not only as a means of spreading Roman culture to the colonies, but also as a way of distracting them from all the political activities. Mime, pantomime, poetry readings were the dominant forms of entertainment there, much of which would last all day long. For the common people who were fond of these spectacular effects, magnificent stage sets became very important as well, um, as was the use of stage machinery. The entertainment offered was open to all and free of charge. So, cool. Pretty cool. Free shows. <laughs> Always good. Um, as the Western Roman Empire began to decline, though, the theater was closed in 391 A.D. So that's already a pretty big jump, really. Uh, a 390-year run is uh, not bad, really, by uh, today's music venue standards. I think that's a good run. Um, around this time is when Christianity had become the official religion. It was pillaged by the Visigoths insert goth joke there um they were early germanic people and this was around 412 a.d and like most roman buildings stripped of its better stone over the centuries for reuse um, it was used as a defensive post in the early middle ages and by the 12th century began to be used by the church for religious plays during the 16th century religion wars it became a refuge for the townspeople. Then we have quite a big jump um, in the history that I was looking at. I'm sure you can find out more if you really want to dig into all this. Uh, but till about nowish. Um, so after the Middle Ages, it's uh, been restored to its former function, primarily used for opera shows. Um, not too many rock shows um, around the time that The Cure recorded this, or now even, seem to pop up there, surprisingly. Um, at the time that The Cure recorded it in 86, um, they were the first rock band that had played there since Dire Straits two years earlier. Um, even before that, and since The Cure even, uh, not a ton of rock shows. 
Years go by without any real notable pop acts in any sort. The list is quite odd, actually. It's Bad Company played there. Uh, Nico in 1975. Elvis Costello in 1980. Uh, the Police, Elton John. The Pogues played there five days after The Cure. Um, seems like everyone would be all over this place. I don't know why you wouldn't. Maybe just because it's more countryside and hard to get out there and guarantee if a reliable big crowd, but um, yeah, it's weird. Even weird that the Cure hasn't played there since, as far as I know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll do an anniversary out there. <laughs> um, so yeah, one of the most iconic parts of the structure, though, is the grand exterior facade, which measures to be about 338 feet long and about 121 feet high. And has been preserved completely, really. Um, at the center of it is an 11-foot-tall statue of Emperor Augustus. Although this was most likely a restoration of an original statue of Apollo, the god of music and arts. So uh, the stage is 200 feet long and raised about one meter from the ground. And then, of course, backed up by that giant wall, that 121-foot facade. Originally, there was a wooden roof. Um, they suspect it was lost in a fire at some point, but you could still see where it was attached at one point. So that's kind of cool. It seats about 5,800 up to about 7,300. Um, the 10 Imaginary Years book said 8,000, so it's a little more. So maybe they packed a few more in for the cure. Um, just in comparison, roughly, Royal Albert Hall seats about 5,000. Um, 200 Sydney Opera House, about 5,000. So kind of um, a little more than those places. Um, but Madison Square Garden's like 21,000. So if that helps put it in perspective, who knows? Always been bad with numbers. So let's get on the cure side of things a bit more instead of going back to uh, the Middle Ages. Um, as far as the cure, the U.S. tour for standing on a beach started in July at Great Woods Center for Performing Arts in Mansfield, Massachusetts. Um, which I believe, was that the one that, that Arusha was able to get to? If you uh, know your Arusha history, might be some crossover there. Um, but this led the Cure on a tour all through the U.S. and then ended up back in Europe with uh, one show in Spain and four shows in France. And of course, one of the shows in France would become in Orange, which was actually filmed over two or three days. A lot of sources say three nights, um, but I'm assuming the first day was just rehearsals or crew setup kind of thing because a lot of people were saying two days. So it was definitely over the two days of August 9th and 10th. Um, August 9th, though, is the key day that if you're going to set your time machine to, that's the one that you want to set it to because that's the time that they're filming in front of the crowd the actual live show and what i mean by that is and if uh you read lowell's book you get further details onto that which we'll get into in a second but uh the following night august 10th they actually used that day to film close-ups where there was no crowd present, actually. So that's pretty wild. They filmed the whole live show one night, and then the second night they did it again, but with no crowd. So those shots where he's all up in their face and stuff, a lot of those, there was no actual crowd for that shot. So that's pretty wild. Um, 
So, and I'm sure those are the ones that don't really have to match visually as much. So it's probably like close-ups on their guitars and stuff like that more than, you know, his face. So, pretty wild. Um, the budget was about 150,000 pounds. They couldn't afford insurance, so they said if it rained, they were out of luck. If it rained on any either of the two days, they would have to scrap the whole thing. Um, of course, they lucked out, missed the rain, but only by a day in one interview, they said. Um, film director choice even was technically a bit of a gamble at the helm would be Tim Pope, um, who at this time was crushing it as the Cure's video director for the last few, uh, few years or so. Um, but he had never made a full length feature of any sort at this point. So Robert Smith had all the confidence in the world in him though, and, uh, said a lot of cool, unique angles and, uh, felt 100% that Pope's just knowing the band would show through in the film and uh, not doing what an experienced, bigger budgeted director would do. Um, so a lot of that running around with handheld cameras and such really gave the film not only the perspective of the audience watching it, but um, being on stage too, something he'd t- refer back to in the anniversary films too. So um, really cool because it does give you that cool sense of like what it's like to be on the stage playing that show as well as you know watching it in a, from a fan perspective from the audience <clears throat> tim pope also makes a great point in saying that the film really balanced the cure back then um while his music videos tended to dabble in the goofier side with love cats and let's go to bed and close to me even and for the first time pulling out more of a humorous side of the cure as opposed to the very dramatic early dark era um the concert film really shows the diversity though more i think um kind of really touching on both of those while you still have the fun um side of like the way in between days is filmed like the video and on stage and such but then he still really captures the dark stuff really well in this concert film sinking and faith are epic as fuck in this um so i think it really kind of brings all those parties together if there was any division even back then of happy cure versus uh dark cure so and you still get the goofy moments like i said not just in between days but like close to me and let's go to bed again at the end really pulls out the fun side of it all ultimately making it more of like an actual movie too he said where there's slower parts and high energy parts like different scenes of a movie Robert and Tim Pope also said the film was initially meant to be more ambitious. They were going to play like weird characters, like a Beatles movie or something, where it would, you know, do a few live songs and cut away to some like pre recorded weirdness. I don't know. I guess thinking more Beatles movie ish or like Prince Son of the Times or something. But um, because of money and time, they just decided to keep it a straight up live show. And technically, that's probably something to to thank god about <laughs> that uh it worked out that way who knows it could have been really just goofy and weird if they went super artsy with it but those very rarely work but uh i think cure fans would love it but this just captures such a great live performance that it's hard to imagine that that should be messed with in any way especially if you start doing that stuff that's when you have to cut songs and such so this is pretty cool that it captured the entire live show i think as it was 
Lowell had some great insight into this uh, show in his book Cured, The Tale of Two Imaginary Boys. If you haven't checked that out for whatever reason yet, um, should should definitely do so. Um, but yeah, he confirmed that it was filmed over two nights, one in front of the live audience and uh, one night with no audience so they could get the close-ups. Um, he said at the end of the film, as they waved goodbye from the statue... Apparently, the only way to get next to the Augustus statue there was to stand on some very janky, shady-looking planks to get all up close on the statue. So Lowell says if they or he looks terrified in the shots, it's because he was. Um, They don't really zoom in close enough to really see, but as I've tried to check it out closer on this last viewing, Lowell in particular did seem a bit more wooden up there. Um not really waving quite as vigorously as the others in the band. So, uh, yeah, it's probably something to do with that. Um, following the night, though, that they record the live show, like the actual live show the first night, Lowell went back to the hotel where he then decided to take a nice walk along a wall by the sea. So, um, misjudging a gap, he took a nasty spill over the edge, severely twisting his ankle. That very night, he called in a doctor, and uh, he was able to confirm that it was not broken, but very badly twisted. So uh, the doctor hooked him up with a shot of some kind of painkiller and cream, so he'd be able to stand and walk around on it a bit, at least enough just to get through the next day's filming of the close-up shots of the concert. So Lowell said that if you notice there's any size increase in his ankle on the close-up shots, that's the reason why, um, but, you know, I didn't really see any of those looking for it specifically. It uh, didn't look like any giant ankle bandage or anything that I saw anyway, um, and definitely didn't seem to change his stage dynamic in any way. So, uh, but having gone through a foot injury debacle recently, uh, I could definitely relate to how bad that must have sucked for him. Um and just not terrifying to not know if he had just ruined the whole production or something. So glad it all worked out there. And uh, be careful when you're walking around on walls after filming a concert video by the ocean, you know. Don't, don't drink 20 bottles of wine and go walking on walls. I think that's the lesson learned there. This whole VHS is very personal to me. This is technically the the first viewing of The Cure, other than looking at album covers, that most of which didn't have any pictures of them or anything at this point uh, visually. So uh, this is my first kind of real exposure to The Cure, strangely enough, and um, maybe why I love them so much, because it's such a great video and... Um, you know, and even maybe Robert with the with the trimmed down buzz cut and everything, it was a little, little less alarming than if I had seen full blown pornography or disintegration era Robert first. Who knows? Um, but uh, yeah, it, it it goes back to the start for me. Um, Jeff Butler, my maker of cureness, um, see episode one. Um, he made me watch this super early on. Um, he got the, the VHS and, um, 
and I wasn't a fan yet. Um, he had made me, we had listened to Standing on a Beach, I think it was, and, you know, like I've mentioned in the past, Hanging Garden was on there, and I made fun of the lyrics there, and I was like, what kind of goofy shit is this, man? He's falling in the walls and stuff. And then he's like, well, I got this concert video. Let's watch it. And, you know, of course, it was after school one day and nothing else to do, so why not? So uh, we threw it on. I even remember making fun of him. I was like, what, the Hanging Garden song's not even on this? What the hell, dude? I thought that was their big hit. Um, so sometime around 87, uh, this was on VHS, and he, he got it, and it was at our local like VHS rental shop, Family Video it was called, in Bradfordon Shopping Center in Stafford, Virginia. And um, it stayed on the new release wall for quite a while. Um, so once we watched it, I was pretty much hooked after that viewing, even though I'd never admit it to Jeff at the time like these guys are awesome um once i officially was hooked though we would rent it constantly just at my house his house everybody and uh so one of us would always have this tape um and i remember tricking my dad one time into starting to watch it because we just have whatever our new rentals were down there and he's like what's that uh in orange thing and i was like oh yeah, yeah it's a new michael kane movie so then uh i think my dad made it about 15 minutes in um but my kid brain, it wasn't just to be a little prick and like trick him into watching it. Just as a prank, I honestly thought it was that good that um, if he put it on, he he would watch the first few songs and get hooked too, and become a Cure fan on some level. Um, so yeah, I didn't mean it to be you know a prank, but uh, it didn't take long. My dad caught on and was like, yeah, I didn't watch it, but. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it, you know, it was, it's complicated. My dad and I didn't quite click on a lot of things or have a lot of common interest for a long time. So this was definitely not going to be the bridge that we needed at that point in our relationship. <laughs> Unfortunately, that would have been pretty rad if it had become that way. But um, so, yeah, we watched that constantly. It still amazes me that they really don't do that much on stage um even simon back then was fairly tame um by today's standards even he moved around less in this video i think than he did in any of the other ones um but somehow they're so fascinating to watch it really is like just not that much going on the backdrop you know stage production wasn't that epic in 1986 uh, the backdrop was just a giant sheet with their shadows on it um they're just somehow come off so fucking cool though in this concert i don't understand it every little slight eye movement and twitch that robert did uh just seemed so impactful to me like so much more than like other kids at school were freaking out about fucking michael jackson's moonwalk or whatever that i could give two shits for but this just like totally blew my mind of how cool they seemed I still can't really explain it, but, um, you know, I do feel kind of proud on some level that even at 10 years old, I was able to detect that this was a different kind of cool, and I was all about this shit. So I was weary of doing like a track by track because it is quite a playlist, but um, as I watched it and I had the bottle of wine, of course, and was like really getting into it, had to jot down some thoughts, so I figured I'd share it. Uh, we'll please do it fairly fast here, but um, just some notes on the actual film that were fun to watch after having seen it for, you know, 30 years at this point or whatever. So yeah, the slow-mo intro to the film starts with the cure walking out 
to relax the closing track on the glove album surprisingly um, it's kind of run through some weird flange filter or something so you can't really hear it too closely so if you never caught that don't feel too bad uh, it took me years before I made the connection, um, but still pretty rad that they would choose that to be the intro music um, coming out. Robert, of course, is coming out with a big old wig on his head that Simon rips off and throws it into the crowd, gloriously revealing his new buzz cut. Um, but I love how Robert's buzz still isn't really like a buzz when you look at it now. It's still like pretty poofy. Um, I can never understand the few times when I'd go to the barber as a kid and I was all like, I'm going to do the Robert Smith and get a buzz. And then they'd buzz my head and it was like, whoa, geez, this is like, you know, marine buzz. This is not what looked like Robert Smith's at all. What's going on? It's because you look at it, it's still kind of like a pretty grown out, just buzzed by his head standards. So um, anyway one of many failed attempts to have the glorious hair of Robert Smith. Uh, the cure in orange crawls across the screen in a real uh, 1987 kind of way, very reminiscent of graphics you would see in the Bones Brigade videos or something. So uh, not not the most epic intro, but it, it works and it's very cool. And of course they launch in the Shake Dog Shake as the opening track, Tim Pope and the cameraman are in there all up in that shit for the first shot showing how this is going to be very uh, subtly not like any concert that you've ever seen before uh, where it's just camera deadlocked from the middle of the audience. Um, so many great shots right off the bat on this, just behind the band in particular, uh, making it feel like you're in the damn band playing the show too. So it really gets your energy pumping right off the bat, you know? And probably a huge credit to so many bands just, or kids just wanting to be in a band after that. You see those little glimpses of, of how rad it looks to be on stage and be a part of the action. You're like, yes, that's what I want to do. I know it got me for sure. Um, great use of smoke through this whole show, really. Um, just the, the, I know it's like a what? Of course, smoke always looks cool. But for some reason, it really captures it well. We'll note it in a few songs in particular, but there's some great... Great smoke shots. Cool shot of uh, Perry, actually, that I never caught uh, before this last viewing. Uh, is the roadie off on the side of the stage really early on. It's pretty blurry and in the distance, but on the side of the stage, you can totally make it out that that's Perry. Um, I never saw that before. I was like, what fuck? That's Perry. Uh, instantly, you realize how great the sound and the audio mix of all this is, too. Um, this is a whole episode that could be done on this, but it really should have been released as a live album, too. Um, maybe they learned from that mistake, and that's what they did with show. But, um, I mean, you have the bootlegs now, but it's, you know, just the audio taken from this, you know. It would have been really cool to capture this in an in a album way, because it really is just great performances. The mix is really good. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I'm... Saying anything too shocking to you guys out there with that. Uh, instantly, always mesmerized by the weird sort of mosh pit that's going on uh, throughout this whole concert. And it starts up during Shape Dog Shake. Um, definitely a pumped up crowd, though, so you can't can't get too uh, baffled by it. A lot of kicking up dust and everything, so it's pretty cool. I've never really considered a, the cure a band you would mosh to, but whatever. I guess they're all just having fun, whatever it takes, right? 
Uh, Peggy and the Mare is an odd choice for the second song, opening with two top songs, but I guess at this point it's a fairly new album, and um, probably the best Piggy and the Mare is going to sound. Um, maybe this is why I never really had any grapes with the top the way Chaz does and stuff, is because I associate it more with an orange in a sense, especially Shake Dog Shake, backed by Piggy and the Mirror. I'm still always shocked that Piggy and the Mirror isn't the second song on the top. Um, just because it works so good following Shake Dog Shake. Uh, but yeah, I think, I don't know, not that I really mind the production on the top so much, but maybe I do and just don't realize it, but it sounds great here. Um, Pearl's doing all kinds of cool shit on the keys too that you don't really realize, um, you know, when you're really watching that. Uh, Robert plays a sick-ass solo on this too, so that's pretty cool uh, that you wouldn't really associate with Piggy in the Mirror normally. Um, then they launch into play for today. The uh, great Telecaster shots. Robert's guitar in this one. Um, this is what made me want to get uh, a black Telecaster. Is my first electric guitar. Um, just seeing this, really, it was like a, a guitar commercial for me as a kid. <laughs> just seeing how many cool shots there was. So, um, plus, it was fairly affordable. So that always helps. Um, then they go into Strange Day, again, a bit of an odd choice to see a song like this so early in the set, but it was 1986. Again, nothing was really that old at that point, so um, pretty cool, though, that they weren't, like, totally just stacking it with, like, you know, basically they could just play Standing on a Beach, you would think. Uh, I think maybe that's why it helped that this was in France, because um, you're not just doing all the, here's all the singles, America, kind of thing, you know, so... Um, again, a bit odd, but uh, cool. So again, uh, we get some great smoke usage too in a flawless rendition of Strange Day, which sealed the deal on my love for that solo of that guitar part. It's just amazing. So. going into primary a cool faith song here so interesting that at this point they're still breaking bigger you know with all those singles from hit on the door but they haven't played a single track from hit on the door at this point so that's weird um but cool uh audience seems to really love it cares always slowly kept their back catalog snowballing in the background that's something i really love about Robert Smith's set list choices. He never abandons that stuff. Um, just putting these all up front and center, even though, you know, it's single, so it's not that big of a deal, but at the same time, would be real easy. Um, so many bands do that when they start breaking through and having bigger success. They just pick up from where that success started and don't play the older stuff. And Robert's never done that. So thank you, Robert. Um, Poro is playing the bass six on this one. Um, the Red Light Blast, Robert, perhaps a cool reference um, to the little girls in the single cover, maybe? I don't know. It looks kind of like that. I don't know how intentional that was or not, but a uh, pretty cool visual effect. Mm -hmm. 
Kyoto song is the first head on the door track actually played in this concert, which is odd. Lowell's keys here inspired me to play keyboard. I said, wow, that sounds cool. Looks cool. And uh, I think I can play that. I think I can do that. And sure enough, I did learn it. So uh, little 10 year old me inspired. It's like, I want that position. Charlotte sometimes after that, two keyboards sounding great. Um, just always so much better when you have some good swirls going around and background atmosphere for Charlotte sometimes. I like this version a lot. Um, we argue a lot that Paris might be the definitive version. This one's really good too. In between days, oddly, uh, first and only use of an acoustic guitar in this film by Robert Smith. So pretty cool um he uses an ibanez too which is again another slightly odd taste for acoustic guitars i don't know why his acoustic guitars are always uh not what i suspect uh robert smith would be his go-to acoustic guitars but he's got his ibanez the camera shots from the head of the guitar mimic the music video which is cool tim pope's always so good at that referring back to his own stuff or other things um little eye trickery there that you gotta love so this was a probably key example of what they did on that second day um i always wondered was like what the hell were they doing that like with the live crowd there they're like just let me get up on your guitar for like a second um so that's pretty cool strange to watch this knowing that in between days was a newish single at this time um just for how many times we've seen this live and the beauty of this song never wears off, but you can actually feel, I felt like a bit more energy for sure, because it's like the new song, and uh, you could tell it was uh, nice to see it in the era, roughly, that it was written. So, The Walk, you know, is always cool live. That comes up next, Night Like This, uses the same of the kind of cool video sort of slow-mo trick that Tim Pope uh, has mentioned he invented. Um, so it's like, filmed in slower time but still matches um don't remember robert taking the guitar solo on this so much better than the sax one um but i guess he took the solo um great vocal delay too um assuming that was done in post-production but maybe they did that live uh, hard to say but i love this live version uh push is an in orange classic for sure i don't know why um but they really crush it on this one. This is like maybe one of the moments that totally won me over as a kid right on that first viewing of this concert film. Um, it's just packed full of great shots and edits and hair whips and jumping up and down and energy. Poro again is just fucking thrashing that bass six, so it's just so cool. Um, yeah, so that's a real highlight and a real bummer of that uh, bootleg vinyl of this. Doesn't have it on there. I'm like, why would you cut that one? Oh, 100 Years Follows. Again, cool that they didn't abandon these tracks and uh, are still in there. Um, you know, Love Cats isn't even on this. You know, you would think that they'd just be all about the, the singles that have broke through at this point. But nope, sticking the songs like 100 Years. It's what makes the cure beautiful. Random cool behind the ear shot of Robert Smith on this one where Tim Pope's just all up in his ear so that's pretty rad and Forrest epic as hell as always crowd is shooting off fireworks during this one not sure you could do that today bring bottle rockets in to <laughs> uh, kind of looks like they're going 
towards the stage even uh, might might be shooting them at lol but who knows uh so yeah that was kind of rad to see that and like i said a forest always sounds great these earlier versions um you know just there's never never a dull version of forest out there so always blows my mind how cool that is live sinking um starting to wind down uh a third is like a third finale song at this point of the set we had 100 years forest now sinking all those could have been closers uh so it's a great time capsule moment too for this era uh since the sun doesn't get pulled back out too often um and it's such a great closer and such a great song um the smoke again here just blows my mind how cool that looks um during this song in particular <laughs> such a great tune um yeah so then that wraps up the set um first encore they come out this is super fun bob close to me getting all tangled up in the in the mic cord as tim pope's all up in his shit chasing him around just a great 80s pop classic and uh i just love this song it's fun if you need it to be the lyrics are great um the timeless moment and another highlight for this show in particular um really just like we said shows both sides after you literally just finished sinking you come back with close to me it's like whoa that's diversity i love it followed by let's go to bed where the fun continues and then into six different ways um which i've always felt was another in orange highlight um it's only played 63 times um, and never after 1987, which is an interesting fact. So Jason has never actually played Six Different Ways live. Hmm. Weird. Totally know he could if he wanted to or if Robert wanted him to. But uh, just odd that they never brought that song back after 87. Weird. Please let me know if I'm wrong on that. But that was what uh, I, I dug up looking at the set list. Um, so yeah, I mean, it got played a lot during, um, I guess this tour and, and for Kiss Me, but not, not after that. Weird. Um, so that wraps up Encore 1. Encore 2 comes out. They do some more of the old classics. Three Imaginary Boys, pretty much just badass. Uh, Boys Don't Cry, so good on this set. Could have been a music video clip, actually, promo for this one, I thought. Since, you know, they did the re-voiced single, you know. I don't know if they did release anything. It was like a promo clip of which one they chose. But this would have been my vote. Um, Encore 3 is darker again. Faith kicks it off, actually. So come out opening an Encore with Faith. We always said that's a tough one to follow. Um, but yeah, it starts the Encore. Two keys. Super chill, super beautiful. This is the one that won me over um, of this song as a kid. Just those long, wide shots. Um, it just stays there, too. It's like one of few really long, wide shots that just hang in there, like, real heavy. Um, it just feels almost like a minute long of just not even doing another angle. It's kind of that only time where you feel like you're in the nosebleeds watching it and absorbing all that atmosphere it's beautiful also goes up and just shoots the statue during this right so this is that long shot of the statue even augustus is uh digging the show at this point um this is the first song robert's using the bass six on i think in the whole show so 
probably the last too because we're near the end of the show so only uses the bass six on one song very odd uh give me it is what they follow it with we always say how do you follow faith if it isn't the last song they'll be like what do you do from that give me it that'll snap you out real quick right uh it's obnoxious man i've always been torn on this song but this one's obnoxious but cool so i love like maybe it is just because it breaks the spell um pearl on sax it's just a, such a spazzy song but um if you're gonna do it this is the time so uh, i'm all in favor of it in this scenario 10 15 is a following track cool pearl solo on this the uh, great energy um which leads to the closer of this show but uh yeah, this is another song I could usually be like, meh, meh. but when they do it like high energy version like this, it's pretty rad. So can't argue that. It's so cool they didn't cut that one. You know, you would think that this is around where they'd have to trim something down, but um, glad they didn't. Killing an Arab wraps up the show crazy fast. Amazing energy of this one. They're just going balls out on this and uh, makes it a perfect closer. So um, yeah, how do you... How do you not get blown away by that? So it's just like, bam. Okay, good night. And uh, launches into Sweet Talking Guy from the Augustus statue. And um, yeah, used in irony, according to Cure News, issue number nine. Thanks to Chris and Janie, of course. CureNews.net, go visit that. But um, yeah, that was the only note that I said that they, they used it in irony. <laughs> Sweet Talking Guy. Beautiful summer. Um, so yeah, that uh, wraps up the amazing live set. Great song, song choice. I mean, they could play this whole show exactly as is, and like 90% of Cure fans would be more than happy with that. So after that, the show is eventually released. Uh, limited theatrical release. The Odeon Marble Arch in, uh, in London. April 23rd, according to... I initially looked up, but sometime in 87, it comes out there, there, and eventually on uh, VHS, which probably been about 88, which makes sense, uh, early 88 when I saw it. Um, it could have been 87, yeah, late 87. So, uh, yeah, the reviews start coming out for this, which are <laughs> pretty interesting. Times Out London described it as an astonishing lavish production number from one of the world's least dynamic live bands, rendered noteworthy by its setting against the magnificent backdrop of an ancient amphitheater. For Cure fans, this is a perfect cinematically compelling record of a gig as you could ever ask for. For the rest of us, it's a bit of a yawn. Jeez, there's a review with a twist ending. I thought he was so in favor of it until that last sentence. Anyway, um, I've held off saying this, um, but here's the obligatory complaint, of course, that it has not been re-released on DVD or Blu-ray or even just a damn audio CD version of this. Um, why? I have no idea. It's almost criminal that this thing hasn't come out 
and anything other than a VHS. I mean, Laserdisc, I guess, but does that really help anything at this point? No. Um, I can't imagine any scenario where Robert would purposefully be dragging his feet on re-releasing this. There's nothing embarrassing. There's nothing dramatically different in the band. Um, Maybe he didn't like his hairdo. I don't know. But um, it's got to be some contractual thing is, is what I can only rest my weary mind on uh, or somebody has the rights to it or something is just holding it up um or at worst he has some bigger vision maybe he wants to wait till like uh 2027 is an anniversary that's probably the most realistic <laughs> it's like, oh, good God. um but you know for, maybe forgot in 2017 so uh yeah and now he's waiting till 2027 uh, who knows but it's so long overdue vhs laserdisc is literally the only official release um yeah, and it's just no way to experience this. Luckily, I think a lot of us, you know, just didn't wait and bootlegged it and converted it to a DVD at least. So we have some kind of burnt DVD if you didn't buy a bootleg version of it at some point. Um, so we have it. Um, that quality just kind of stinks, though. You know, it'd be nice to just have it where it's boosted a little bit better and doesn't have the tracking lines to it like my copy does or whatever. But, um, yeah, even that vinyl bootleg, like I mentioned, it cuts out like a lot of the best songs. I understand you got to cut some of them just to fit it on there, but um, you know why can't they just re-release it even with all the songs? Make it a damn six-disc thing. Who knows? But push six different ways. Come on, you can't cut those off of this. Um, immediately after, the band would stick around in France to begin work on "Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me." Um, this would begin the recording process, and that would be later released in about May of 87. So, couldn't find any absolutes of when Kiss Me tracks were written um, uh, versus when they were recorded. Uh, but you would have to wonder, in some of those amazing tracks, like, were they already written at the time of doing this? Since it's, like, real close to when they go into the studio time. Cure's never one for, like, you know, dumping a bunch of half-written new songs especially during a live video that they're making a film out of, but leads you to believe something like Just Like Heaven could have possibly been written, or at least mostly written at this time. And how the hell do you keep that in your back pocket? Even if I had like a third of that written, I'd be playing it at every show. Um, but, you know, Robert's clearly a very patient man that uh, likes to know when to lay his cards on the table. So, uh, who knows? Uh, but, yeah. Interesting to ponder. So I can't wrap up this episode without addressing some great little uh, Robert Smith noises or comments in between the tracks, um, which have stuck with me over the years and always made me giggle. Um, I meant to make note of them, but just off the top of my head, the, uh, we got Shiawana, two, three, four, five, six. Last song I'd ever want to learn to dance to. This one's the last chance I'd ever get to learn to dance. So many people, this is called Let's Go to Bed. That's what I interpret it as, Let's Go to Bed. Um, a song about, uh, wearing a dress and riding a train before push. <laughs> This one's about when I used to wear a dress and travel on a train. It's called Push. Uh, we had... Pure Pop for now. Yeah. This is called In Between Days. 
think he's saying a pop song now or something a little more pop now. Something like that. But uh, I love all these little noises and they have become just as dear to my heart as the actual songs at this point. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting a few. Um, But yeah, had to to mention them. And uh, feel free to decipher any of the ones I'm still getting wrong. We could uh, make that a a sub-tier of the Misinterpreted Lyrics episode. So it kind of winds down my thoughts on the film. Um, Of course, I love it dearly. Maybe that's why I was afraid to even talk to anybody else. in this episode about it because i i don't know if i could have taken any criticisms there's literally nothing that you could say negative about this i think um only only that it's uh it, it is in 1986 you know there was so much great care to come it's it's amazing that you can watch this whole thing and love it so much and um still be hit with the fact that you know a song like just like heaven wasn't even recorded yet you know so much Amazing Cure stuff will come out after this point on the timeline. So, uh, wow. I mean, can you imagine a career like that? That's so cool. And I love that, you know, thinking of like we've referred to as this golden era, whether it be your actual favorite albums during this or not, you know, as far as mainstream success or just the Cure's success as a career between Head on the Door and Wish is, you know, technically the golden era um, for the band. And, uh, I love that this captures the beginning of that really, even though head on the doors, you know, wound down at this point and they're going more into kiss me. It really captures that cure in full stride with this lineup. And I love that show kind of bookends that with like the end of that lineup. So, uh, it's pretty cool just to know that like those shows were not that far apart and you have these two live films that really document it and, uh, save it well in a time capsule so that in itself should be a reason to uh clean it up and release it um which i'm sure they will someday but you know like i said i won't gripe too much about that let's just appreciate that we have it and we've been able to watch it in some format all these years so um on that note it's also a great testament of uh their time and work with tim pope too um once that anniversary film came out it really made this shine again in the sense of uh, how far they've come in the grand you know, scope of things, uh, even zooming up further than this lineup and through Wish, but their whole career um, and how uh, you know the work with Tim Pope really has meant a lot, <clears throat> really captured so much great work and shows of the care um, from everything visual of the music videos to these concert films and... Uh, this and anniversary really could go back to back in a cool pairing too. So, uh, so hats off to the band, of course, and Tim Pope. And I uh, hope you guys liked strolling down memory lane of this VHS with me. And, uh, I think you should totally start to, uh, gear yourself to listen to the last couple minutes of this podcast and then go put on in orange yourself you will be surprised how much you love it still. I was blown away. I've seen this thing a million times. And uh, I was like, oh, I really should just watch it again before babbling about it for an hour. But, um, man, it's so fun. And it goes by so fast, too. You're just like, wow, okay, cool. I don't I don't need to scam, skim through any of this. I, I really want to watch this. And you just absorb something new. It's like a great movie where you still get something new out of every little 
watch every little mannerism every little guitar hit um it's amazing so and actually there is a pretty good version floating around out there on youtube right now i just linked it for the last bootlegs episode um and it might have been the one scott was even referring to in that episode um it's a 4k cleaned up version that's on youtube somebody has created it's definitely not official in any way but uh might want to go check that out uh before it disappears so um on top of that just subscribe on itunes please and uh check us out on instagram at the holy hour podcast check out our facebook page so you can see any extra bits we throw up there for each episode and you can comment on each episode over there and, and chime in with your two cents and uh See how that goes. And uh, if that's not enough and you need a direct contact with me personally, that's always fine too. GavinConnor at gmail.com. So just send me any thoughts, suggestions, ideas for shows, complaints, whatever you got. Send it my way. I'd love to hear it. And of course, we love to give a great big thank you to our Patreon crew. You guys are awesome. Donna, Craig, Jeff, Matt, Jeff, Suzanne, John, and Ben. Thank you so much for your contributions and thoughts and for uh, really helping out with the show. It's so appreciated. And um, Lisa up in Calgary, who's also a member of the Patreon crew, she's been giving a shout-out to Dickens YYC, or just Dickens Pub up there in Calgary, and they have been doing live streams um, every Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Um, but I'm not sure if they're currently going on right now. I need to double check because I got good news that they're reopening. The actual pub back open. Um, it's going to be reopening in September, September 2nd to be exact. So if you're in the area, it is time to finally go back in to Dickens and uh, get your dance on, see live music. All kinds of good stuff up there. They've got trivia, drag performances, burlesque shows. So all that's happening again September 2nd. As far as I know, and uh, they're even going to host a warm-up event to uh, give a little teaser, a Hang the DJ event is going to be on August 27th, so a little early if you can't wait for September still. Um, this is a ticketed event, so it sounds like they're about 15 bucks. You can order them um, in advance. Sounds like a good idea because they are counting on it selling out. So um, go to DickensYYC.com or DickensYYC on Instagram and you'll be able to track all the info down if you're in the area i would love to go up there sometime and uh check this place out so hopefully that'll happen someday but uh everybody up there i'll, I'll let you know next round if the live streams are going to continue or not um but as i'm now you can put that on your calendar september 2nd dickens is back and um Sarlacc Digest, our buddy Scott Kruger's Star Wars themed podcast. You should definitely check that out. And they do a live show every Monday at uh, um, 8 p.m. Pacific time. And uh, that show is always awesome, always consistently fun to watch. So uh, it's become a weekly event for sure where if I'm around, I'm, I'm putting it on on YouTube and watching it live and uh if i need to check out early or somehow miss it you can always backtrack and just listen to like it like the good old days of podcast but it is great and they really cover it all every time uh some kind of wrinkle in the star wars universe comes up they'll hash out every little possible detail on it and cover all the thoughts and uh it's, it's a blast to watch so if you need your star wars fix on any level check out sarlacc digest on youtube for sure 
Again, that's at 8 p.m. on Monday nights live. And, of course, CureThreads.com is run by our buddy Kate. And uh, I believe she's back in action. And I believe I might have screwed up a date last time um, where I said she'll be back in action. But she's she's moving. She's transitioning her her, her uh, website over there. So it sounds like should be up and running probably by this one. So if it's not yet, just be patient. Cure fans are so patient, so there's really no worry. <laughs> um, but uh, just check it out, carethreads.com. If it's ready to go, you'll you'll realize it, and you will be able to check out lots of new stuff on the uh, on the uh, Cure Threads page. Sounds like she's got some new products she's dying to get up there. Original artwork incorporated, lots of Cure themes, and um, all kinds of cool stuff you'll want to see over there as far as shirts and merchandise that she's created, as well as the books that she has um, illustrated, children's books. There's a, currently the latest one, Secret Life of the Sloth, that I've been talking about. It's a great book. You'll want to check that out and the amazing artwork that she created for that book. So all of that in mind. Thank you so much, Patreon crew. If you want to be a part of the Patreon team, go on over to patreon.com slash the holy hour podcast and uh, give it a look. See if it's something you're be into because we would love to have you on board. And you guys know Coulter, right? From the show, he's been on here a bunch of times. Well, he just had a baby boy named Nash, and he's adorable. So I'd love to get a big old shout out to uh, Coulter and his family and Nash, welcoming him, welcoming him to the world. And uh, we look forward to having Coulter back on the show soon, and Nash on the show as soon as he uh, learns how to talk. Or, you know, even before then, really. We're not too picky on this show, right? I'm barely coherent. Donald's barely coherent. So let's have Nash on next week. We'll see what happens. And, uh, yeah, so I hope they're all doing good out there. And uh, so so happy for you guys and sending you all the love in the world there. And, um, yeah, we'll hopefully catch you guys soon, too. Like I said, I hope we have uh, Donald and Chaz back on the episodes here coming up. And uh, so it's not just me rambling to you. But um, in the meantime, check out Chaz's new podcast, Excommunication Station. It's uh, becoming one of my favorites, if not my favorite new podcast. I I really look forward to each episode coming out where they uh, go all up and down in the world of growing up in the church. I've been really enjoying every episode and look forward to the next ones coming out. And, uh, you know, if you'd rather just wear his Cure shirts, I'm sure he's cool with that and I'm cool with that too. So go on over to 17seconds.bigcartel.com and uh, see what the latest one he has up for pre-order. He's had some really cool ones up there lately, so um, don't want to miss out. You can follow him on 17 underscore seconds too if... uh, If you want to keep track that way, it's probably a little better to see what's on the horizon. Okay, guys, we're going to check out now. Uh, Thanks for hanging in there, and I hope you enjoy your next viewing of In Orange. And uh, we'll catch you next time here on The Holy Hour. This is Gavin. Talk hard. Talk hard.